Welcome, Carl, to this episode of Interviews with the Experts from Centro de Poder. Let me introduce you to our audience. You have a bachelor's degree in religious studies, studies from Naropa, and you studied uh, advanced Buddhist teachings with a focus on, on Tantra. So please tell us a little bit about what, how was the, the first moment that led you to, to study Buddhism to, to this depth and, and focus on, on Tantra and what, what keeps you motivated to, to do your practice and your teachings and, and these sharings. Wonderful. First of all, thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be a part of your group. I'm very happy to be here. I, uh, I became involved with Buddhism when I was at college in England. I actually was there first, uh, studying and exploring things. And life was kind of typical for a young man. Mostly pubs, mostly football matches, that kind of thing. <laughs> and it was, you know, it had its fun. But I sort of, intervention, divine, I don't know. I came across the Dalai Lama's images in magazines and books and videos. And I started to bring those things home to the parties we were having. So all the young men are still partying, drinking, having fun, doing their thing. But I'm putting on Dalai Lama videos in the apartment. And uh, they thought I was very strange. But I just, I just noticed that he, you know, this guy was completely happy and really sane and really joyful. And he wasn't going about it through the traditional means. So I didn't really see a future for myself staying in that channel I was on at that time as a young man in England. And so that was my first sort of blessing or being hooked by the compassion of the Dalai Lama to come onto the path. <laughs> that uh, there's this other, you know, thing going on. You should check it out. <laughs> and from there, uh, I just was sort of sold. I went uh, all over in Florida, United States. I met a wonderful teacher called Geshala. And then he sent me to meet the Dalai Lama in in India at the Dalai Lama's monastery, so I was able to study with him there and, you know, just one thing after another. And so I had all the typical issues that arise, of being confused, being uh, in over my head with these teachings, <laughs> not really knowing which side is up. I just know, knew in my heart that it's what I wanted, that it was calling to me something true that was beyond mere materialism or, or vanity or uh, distraction. It was something true. So that inspired me uh, uh, deeply. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the mind and the body? Are those separate things? Are those the same thing? How do you approach it in your practice in meditation? How you live it in, in yourself? Beautiful question. Thank you. Yes, it's defined differently at different stages in Buddhist practice. At first, mind and body are somewhat separate, but in the end, they are not. Um, and so we deal with different layers of body, different layers of mind as we progress through the trainings. So in my meditation, some things I'll do one at a time. Uh, first, I cultivate this with the mind. First, I cultivate this with the body. But in other meditations, it's, no, it's one thing. The body and mind are one thing with have two faces. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about those those experiences that integrate mind and body? Does it have to do with, with the experience of embodiment? 
Yes. Yeah, that's the. If uh, most of the time it seems the mind is not where the body is, so people are suffering because the mind is far away and the body is somewhere else. <laughs> yes. And so we do so many different types of practices, from you know breath work to prostrations to more yogic, uh, typical yogic type asana things, to try to bring them to the same place at the same time. That's kind of a, a general picture of it embodiment to become present yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and tell us uh, more about uh, this idea that may be like mythical mythical of enlightenment what enlightenment is? is is that only for the saints or super advanced practitioners or it's something that it's Um, handy for everyone else? Is it a state that we already have? Tell us a little bit about it. Excellent, yes. In one term that's used is called uh, Vajradharahood, which means the embrace of primordial unity, the primordial unity of body and mind on these layers we've discussed from gross to subtle to extremely subtle. So enlightenment is somebody who has achieved and is a holder of primordial unity of body and mind and we bring this word primordial and we, we mean transcendent uh, and powerful not merely just the gross level of body or the gross level of mind but at the very most fundamental part of the human being is this is this sort of marriage is this sort of unity of body and mind and so someone who has stabilized that is called enlightened <laughs> okay so so that's our at the core of our essence and yes and <laughs> how, do, <laughs> how does that feel <laughs> <laughs> well you can taste it you know we can all you know the, the buddhas will say someone who she is fully awakened that means she's like finished the job but we can taste it kind of you know a little bit here a little bit there and so When you, when you taste that feeling, you know, uh, one of the hallmarks is space. That you're no longer on a crowdy, crowded, uh, uh, busy city, uh, traffic in Mexico City. Your, mm -hmm. your mind is not like that anymore. You're more like uh, on the beach in, uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know, Yucatan or something. <laughs> you're, on, you're on, set the, on your inner yeah. private beach. Yeah, yeah, something you, like that. that it's qualified to move and from there you move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you clear up a lot of junk inside and a lot of pollution inside that comes from being divided. And by becoming unified, you clear up that space. So that's one of the experiences that comes when we taste our true nature is uh, openness, uh, you know, lack of obstruction. And it's not, that's half, you know, that will be half of it. It's not the whole Because we, as Buddhism, we talk a lot about, you know, like space as wisdom, but then also compassion or uh, bliss or ecstatic. That there's this relational energetic quality to enlightenment as well. It's not merely that we've disappeared into a space and things are awesome now. <laughs> we don't have to go to work. Yes. doesn't mean that. It just, <laughs> that's just one of the things when ego is, uh, is penetrated and, and broken free from, then what remains is the natural state of mind. The natural state of mind that can can be experienced in Mexico City. Absolutely, 
that's very yeah. interesting. So, so you don't need to go far away on a retreat uh, and no. cut away your lo love life, but you can live like an enlightenment life that's... and in connection with yourself wherever you are in whatever circumstance. And what is what what is very interesting is that you talk about openness. And now, if if I think on openness here in the corner of Eje three three axes and in Insurgentes Avenue, is like, what would happen to me if I open? <laughs> Maybe I would get polluted with the state of the minds of the traffic and everything. But now uh, I get a different feeling that is possible that spaciousness. That is not maybe an imposition of the inner state to the outside, but another relation. Yes, I love this. <laughs> this is very important. The, pil the highest pilgrimage is the pilgrimage of the body. So we go on the external pilgrimage to the pyramids and the sacred sites around Mexico because it inspires us, gives us faith, and opens our hearts. But it's like a support for the actual pilgrimage, which is the body. So you could be in Mexico City at the Zocalo, and you could be completely enlightened. You could be a Buddha, and it makes no difference. The external aspect is not playing a role because you conquered the inner traffic <laughs> around. And so, you know, when Lord Buddha became enlightened, he lived another 40 years on this earth, walking around and doing things. So he didn't disappear. So it means, okay, even in India, or even in, you know, difficult places where he was going, uh, he was still enlightened, <laughs> it wasn't affected. Very, very interesting. I, I want to add a, uh, a reflection from Joseph Pilates. He wrote two very small essays. One was mm. called Your Health, and the other one was like a repertoire of math exercise, exercises called Return to Life Through Controlology. And his approach was um, very valuable, at least for me, because it was a journey back to yourself, a journey back to your essence, like not thriving for external attainment through adding more layers and more stuff, but like varying the, the, the layers imposed or shells that you used to like defend yourself to, to the very essence that it's, it's very strong. And that, that I connect that feeling <laughs> with the feeling of openness that it's a vulnerability, but vulnerability can also be a place of strength because it's, to my feeling, it's a starting point of real interaction with reality. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> can, can you tell us a little bit more about, um, yeah, the, the mind-body connection? Like, like do you have like a practical tool or image or or insight that could he help our audience to, to connect, like to notice how are they thinking or if they are spacious or not and like something so they can have a taste of this that we're talking about. Yeah, sometimes we think of it as like a horse and the rider of the horse. <laughs> and so you can break that analogy in many ways, but for here, let's just say that you know, there's body and mind, horse and rider. And so throughout the day, when you feel disjointed or discombobulated, thinking, oh, I've fallen off the horse of the body-mind connection. <laughs> I need to try to <laughs> synchronize 
synchronize myself again because I just got thrown off by this horse. <laughs> and so, you know, you could do different exercises to bring yourself back. Basic mindfulnesses of like paying attention to the feet. Often it depends on the psyche. If somebody is more manic or if somebody is more depressed. Okay. But let's just take more manic in this case where agitated, which happens very often. And so if you're just sitting there, you can contemplate the soles of your feet and how they, you know, touch the floor. And what does it feel like underneath the soles of your feet? You can do that while seated or you can do that while walking, like a Zen walking in a more slow and deliberate fashion and putting all of your awareness there. So I'm sure it's the same for much of your body work that you, the Buddhist body work, you're trying to be inside of that part of the body as you do the body work. So it's not that you're looking from your head at the feet or looking at your head at the torso or anything. It's that your mind has sunk inside of the torso or the feet and you're now uh, experiencing reality from there. Your mind has sunk into the body and now you're experiencing reality from there. That's yeah. wonderful, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, embodiment, like really get into the body. Yeah, <laughs> fascinating, <try. laughs> fascinating. Thank you so much. Um, how how can they reach you if they want to learn more about your work, more about Buddhist teachings, tantra, embodiment? Oh yeah, we have a we have a website and we have an online class. The website is Continuity Institute. .org. Uh, and from there you can get the information, you can write to us uh, okay. from there. And you have a profile in social media, a page? For, oh yeah, or we Instagram. have a, an Instagram page called uh, Continuity San Diego. Continuity San Diego. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Carl. It's been a real yeah. pleasure talking to you and listening this this wonderful knowledge that you have. Thank you so much. Thank you.